Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 378th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that walks through the sacred fires of temptation to help you grab the golden ring. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Everybody, I want to apologize for James. Like, the whole, <laughs> the whole Lord of the Rings thing, it's gotten to him. I'm sorry. I didn't know this was going to happen. It's messing with my flow. Oh, my goodness gracious. I don't know what's going on. But as always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the stuff that's happened this week. I just want to remind everybody that this show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. I have it on uh, good authority that they're going to have the One Ring. <clears throat> Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. And that was not an official promise, as per our legal subtext. So, Cliff, what's on the agenda this week? Thank goodness we put a disclaimer in there. Uh, we've got a lot <laughs> going on this week. We've got a couple of big events to talk about, a Modern and Pioneer Challenge in Segment 1. Segment 2, our top movers of the week online and then uh, in person. Segment 4 has you and your cards to watch and mine. And Segment 5, I don't know if you heard, James, but we have a whole Lord of the Rings Universes Beyond set coming out. That's, uh, just we got a, the just debut a little for. bit of information flow today yeah. that needs to be reviewed. We got a debut of if i may go so far <laughs> sure we sure did yeah and also there was a banned and restricted announcement that we're going to touch on as well all right let's jump on over to the metagame week in review there was plenty of spice in motion over the weekend on magic online over in the modern challenge on this saturday may 27th we had jeskai breach in first place which is uh has not been seen in the top eight all that often, but it's kind of intermittently been back and forth. I went back and checked how Underworld Breach regular copies have done since I called it, and they've been on a steady downward trend. So I think we need to see uh, additional appearances and challenges taken down by this deck before you're going to see much motion in the other direction. I do have some concern that it may catch a reprint before we get to that point. You have Blue-Red Merktide in second, you have Mono Green Tron in third and fourth, you have Yogmoth in fifth, Creativity in sixth, and Shardless Footfalls in eighth. Probably the spiciest list here was a five-color domain deck running two Invasion of Tarkir that finished in seventh place. So as far as I know, that's the first time Invasion of Tarkir has top aided in modern. This is some cool stuff, and I'm really excited to see what kind of uh, things we can do with anything that's dragons, honestly. I'm just for it. Yeah, Fable and the Mirror Breaker is, is safe and modern, I think. I don't think there's any chance of a ban there. Uh, it only shows up in a couple decks. So, modern looking like modern. <laughs> Relatively diverse with a little bit of spice every week. Over in Pioneer, there's been a lot of motion. I think that the, the biggest concern with Pioneer six months ago was that there was kind of four or five main lists. You had Mono Green, you had Black Red, you had Lotus Field, and you had... Uh, blue-white control, and Abzan Greasefang, and, and pretty much everything else felt like it was almost on the fringes. But the more they print cards into this uh, format, the more interesting it's getting. 
Lotus Field did take it down in first place, but you had Sultai-Rona-Tyvar combo that has been championed by multiple streamers over the last month, uh, taking second place. That's four Rona, four Tyvar, three Mox Amber, and three Dig Through Time. Uh, and various versions of the list also run Jace Friends Prodigy. This one was running four copies. Also, some extra spice here I haven't seen in these lists before. Two Lazav the Multifarious, which can... Uh, copy a Rona or a Jace and keep the the good times rolling. Yeah, this is pretty neat. Uh, who would have thought that Retraction Helix would have been the card that so many crazy-ass combos focus on? But it'll just uh, roll, 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 and then uh, they'll get their Aetherflux Reservoir, and the game's over. Thanks for playing. Third place was Coco Elves, another list you don't see all that often in Pioneer. Mono green in fourth. Five color bring to light back on the table in fifth place with four Omnath, two Chrome Host Seed Shark, and four Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Knight Errant Aggro has been taking the Pioneer format by storm. Seems like a, a, a very powerful aggro archetype, but also one that can be controlled with a variety of control sweeper options that are present in the format i've played against it on arena and historic and take it out usually with a temporary lockdown after which they quit because um, <laughs> usually that just means the knight errant is left on the table and you right. can easily deal with it with your next removal spell but it take, gets rid of all their you know one and two drops and cool deck to come kind of like completely out of nowhere on the back of the night lotus field again in seventh blue white spirits in eighth both these formats Still looking good, if anything better than they were. Yeah, these are healthy and fun and do neat things, and every set brings new toys. So if you've got a deck that's already running Clarion Spirit, there's going to be another card in Lord of the Rings that you probably want to add to it. I've said it before, say it again. I think Magic has more healthy formats available to it now than it has in any time in its history. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Even if even though Standard needs pruning now and again, but as the lowest powered format, you always got to be careful. Taking a look at the top paper movers, we'll kick things off with the Ozolith, or sorry, Ozolith, the Shattered Spire, not the Ozolith. This is the new one out of Mom, Mom Plus. You can only find those in CBs. Going 7 to 8.50, it's only 21%, but Hardened Scales is doing well in Modern on the back of running three copies of this new Ozolith. Usually they run two of the old one, and they've had a couple of other upgrades from neon dynasty if i recall correctly between that and the demand in edh where ozolith has seen is already in i don't know almost twenty thousand decks or something card is looking set for a relatively bright future and is probably one of the key specs out of the out of the set yeah any deck that wants the counters is already playing hardened scales it's going to want extra copies of the effect and now it has it so anything hardened scales is in this is going to go into as well Correction, the, the only cards that are at 17,000 from Mom are Tribute to the World Tree on EDH Rec, Fairy Mastermind at 15,000, and then Invasion of Ikoria, Ozolith, Atali, and Kami of Whispered Hopes, as well as City on Fire, are all around the 11,000 range. Whispered Hopes, un, is, so you can really lay down uh, Hardened Scales, New Ozolith, Kami of Hopes, and now you your one counter is good for four counters. Yeah, I have a tracks of counters built, and there's like six or seven effects like that in the deck, right? Because yeah. you also have foreign clex, you have uh, doubling season, you have two or three white green creatures that have don't have exactly that effect, but have similar effects. Right. So yeah, that that deck is getting very very powerful. We also have Zenk Paladin Unbroken, the ultra powerful NPC. 
paladin out of the latest D&D movie. Uh, the D&D secret layer seemed to be largely overlooked, and as a result, uh, not surprisingly, it has uh, is holding pretty strong value across multiple cards. Zenk went 16 to 22 on targeting. That's a 38% gains. Doric Nature's Warden is one of the is the Owlbear Druid out of that posse, and she went 20 to 28, 40% gains. Whole thing seems very targeted to me. It's hard to know if they will hold that. But I think the, the game plan here is that this is a single fray release pattern that has already mostly resolved itself and was not as hot selling as other secret layers have been. It's interesting that this one had a lot of movement and stuff like the Street Fighter layer hasn't really moved. So it could just be about the power of the individual cards. It could just be vendors deciding these are too cheap and we're going to... Uh, you know, move on what other people have listed. We'll see what the backfill is, and we'll see how many copies actually sell at these new prices. We had All Will Be One out of March of the Machine was covered by Saffron Olive over on YouTube in a much-watched video where he was proposing a combo deck for Standard. And one of the key pieces that is has been gained is the new Obnixilis out of Aftermath, which is a two-card combo with All Will Be One where you basically just instantly kill people. As a result, the foils uh, for All Will Be One climbed 13 to 18, although I'm looking on TCG Player right now, and it looks like I can find copies in the... No, it's still holding pretty close to 18. 17 $18 or so. There's only 14 listings left, so it's been pretty heavily targeted off of the combination of that video. And CEDH versions of Obnixilis uh, are being widely discussed in those circles. So the combination of the two uh, has shown motion on versions of this card. And Obnixilis Foil Etched and Halo Foil, I believe, exists, have both been targeted as well over the last week. Yeah, it's just a really powerful card, given the number of things that you can do with it, anything that adds counters. You can't put into a Tracks of Planeswalkers, thankfully, but any other other Planeswalker deck or any Proliferate deck is going to go just crazy with this stupid card. I did get to go off in our EDH game mostly because a player decided not to counter my Ickermoon gauntlet when they could have, mm, just to see what I was going to do. Well, it was intentional. They wanted to see what fun I was going to generate and and decided it was worth sacrificing the game to sure. see what kind of shenanigans I was up to. What people miss on that card is that every Planeswalker gets proliferate. Yeah, it's it's madness. If you have one Planeswalker out, it's rarely better than the plus one or plus two that your Planeswalker already has. But if you have four Planeswalkers out, and one of them is only a couple of counters away from whatever ridiculous ultimate, then the other Planeswalkers can just proliferate and get that Planeswalker into position to do it all in one turn. The other thing is that any non-creature spell you cast puts a counter on a card that already has one. So if you proliferate twice and then brainstorm or something then you can put get three counters on the planeswalker so sure enough i got tamio field researcher into omniscience position where you draw three cards and then you get the omniscience emblem they can never get rid of and that was the end of that game yeah yeah i'm not down for sitting around watching you just uh play with your deck until you win So we have Footsteps of the Goryeo foils out of Saviors of Kamigawa, 38 to 55, drying up probably on the back of the aspiring Spike Modern Brews that he's been fooling around with, uh, where I think Footsteps is Legends only, isn't it? Yes. Or is it not? I'm pretty sure it is. 
Yeah, return... No, no, no. It's just return target creature card from your graveyard to play. Oh, sacrifice right. the creature at end of turn. It's a, it's an arcane. It's not a legendary targeted thing. Yeah, so you can... It's a sorcery at three casting costs, but you can bring things like attracts a Grand Unifier into play and, and get the ETB triggers. Yeah, the problem is is that uh, Footsteps of the Gorio at two and a black has exactly the text you said. Then Gorio's Vengeance is the instant version that does target legendary creature cards and has splice onto Arcane. Right. Mantle of the Ancients, Extended Arts out of AFR 10 to 15. It's in 30,000 decks on EDH Rec. You see it in Galea, Lightpaws, Danitha, and Zenk, which spiked this week, so the two may be related. Obnixless, as I mentioned earlier, the Captive Kingpin, Halo Foils out of Aftermath 45 to 80. Uh, strong EDH, CEDH commander. Played against it a couple times this weekend. Very, very good. Putting aside the two-card combo with all will be one, it's just a great commander. And has similar, kind of has a similar play pattern to my Gearson deck, where the table just starts falling in life total on a regular pace, and everybody has to win the game within the number of turns it's going to take for the table to die. I tend to like the commanders that accelerate the gameplay and force people to make tough decisions on a shorter timeline. Preach. That's why I'm a big fan of my Iara deck. Phyrexian Metamorph foils the original copies from uh, New Phyrexia 13 to 25. That's just a generally good card. It's had plenty of printings, but the original foils have uh, finally dried up. I would imagine only four or five copies sold to make the movement, the price movement there. The all will be one oil slicks based on all of that action we talked about earlier going 15 to 30. Uh, that's over the last month, a combination of standard and EDH, CEDH play, as we said. Training Grounds Halo Foil was your pick last week, and it went 25 to 50. <laughs> Starting to feel like a, a select, select subset of pro traders have just decided to champion your picks. <laughs> so I would warn people to keep an eye out for these plateaus to slide back to a more reasonable position. If any content creator calls something out, it doubles overnight, and there wasn't the natural motion to sustain it, you can expect to need to get out quickly, lest you lose value. I did check on this, and uh, there were a couple copies that have sold in the $40 range. We'll see if that holds. I mean, I just made a pick because it's got a low supply anyway, and I'm looking to see if there will be any backfill on this one. But you're right, we uh, we are not trying to have a whole like oh which card can we make go crazy this week kind of contest going on exactly so it's just you know these, these are good picks it's a solid selection on the longer timeline it only has 18 listings the halo foils are relatively hard to pull out of aftermath packs and aftermath is relatively underopened overall but it carries the risk given how well this is doing of of that opening process accelerating and more people being interested in cracking those packs and as a result a lot of these early plateaus could easily be reversed as the hype cycle very prominently moves on to lord of the rings which i think as we're going to see a little later in the cast set is looking very good and is going to be very popular invasion of gobacon out of march of the machine 450 to 11 on heavy heavy standard play uh, also seeing uh, some pioneer play i think as well Nature's Chosen out of Alliances, two to eight dollars. That's on CEDH Tiam discussion that's been going on on YouTube and on written websites in those circles. Because I think you can use it to like un untap a Gaia's Cradle or something in that deck. Nature's Chosen exact untap enchanted is... creature. You can use this only during your turn. Tap enchanted creature to untap target artifact creature or land. 
only activate if it's a white creature that is being enchanted. So yeah, this right. Is... And so, Tiam Luminous Enigma is each other creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional vigilance counter on it. Three, remove three counters from among creatures you control. Put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard, then return a permanent card with converted mana cost three or less from the graveyard to the battlefield. I mean, sure, it's a fun way to untap whatever shenanigan you have going on. So, yeah, uh, this is not a reserved list card, and there were just probably almost nobody bothered to have this listed on TCG Player. So, if you can sell it, do sell it. Reckless Bushwhacker out of... Oath of the Gatewatch, 75 cents to 350 on the back of the Breakout deck and Pioneer, and Knight Errant of Eos out of Mom, one to seven dollars on the break on the back of that same deck. It, we had a couple of purchasers that were in very early on bricks of Knight Errant that are extremely happy to be getting out of their dollar or two dollar bricks at you know five or six bucks on or even higher on direct. Yeah, I'm over here nodding because I've seen their posts in the uh, sales channel and I've been suitably jealous. Over in the Magic Online world, we had some pretty hot movers. Temporary Lockdown, the aforementioned answer to the red-white aggro deck in Standard and Pioneer going 2.06 ticks to 4.55, 120% gains there. Zergo and Ojatai is at the heart of a Jeskai mid-range deck in Standard and has gone 0.88 ticks to 2.39 ticks, 171% gains. And then Rona, Herald of Invasion, of course, finished second in the pioneer challenge on the weekend and went 0.88 ticks to 2.39 170% gains there as a result yep it's all good stuff we we like seeing dragon decks in standard that's for sure okay let's move on over to our cards to watch i was taking a look while we were playing commander with the pro traders i was browsing through oil slick cards that have had some time to fall from highs tell you Getting the bundles from Amazon at pre-order pricing or through our group buys and then flipping them quickly has just proven to be so, so effective because now the prices have fallen down to the point where you can reinvest some of those funds back into some of these oil slicks that have halved in price. So you could have sold you know, something like an Ickermoon Gauntlet for $40 on opening weekend. Now you can buy it back at 20 Looking like very, very good options for the future because there's so many good cards mm. in... All will be one mythics and especially in these oil slicks that that were you know reprinted a, a couple months later i've been trying to figure out which of these that we haven't already called looks the most undervalued and the one that's jumping out at me is zopandril hunger dominus oil slick foil these are as low as about 12 to 13 dollars currently on tcg player and you'll be within a couple of dollars of that pretty much everywhere else zopandril is a seven drop but it's a 4-6 reach, and it doubles the power and toughness of each creature you control until end of turn at the beginning of each combat. So it's the same as the green Innistrad enchantment, but on a stick, basically. And of course, you can sack two other creatures and pay one and four life, or a total of three mana, to put an indestructible counter on Zopandril and make sure that it survives most, most forms of removal. Very, very good green card with broad applications. And if we look at the popular cards from All Will Be One in terms of EDH rec stats, it's not in the top 10, but I think it's 12th most played, and it's pretty tight around things like Vraska Betrayal Sting at, at 20,000 decks, Unnatural Restoration, Skrelv's Hive, Tyvar Stand, all at 20,000 decks. Zopandril's just behind them, and Zopandril's actually ahead of Solfim 
Mayhem Dominus. And Solfim is going for $21 in Oil Slick. Both of them are pretty much EDH-specific cards, so it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me that Zopanville should, should be so cheap. And it looks like we have a pretty good opportunity on these at 12 to go to 20 given that it's already in almost 20,000 decks, and it's not even particularly locked to any particular theme other than that you have big beaters. This is especially neat if you have... It's rare to do with green, but if you can do anything where you're uh, doing multiple combat phases, this really gets out of hand. One thing to note is that the Oil Slick version has the misprint. Uh, the uh, activated ability is the double Phyrexian green. It doesn't actually have the one in any other uh, activation cost. So if you're looking at the Oil Slicks, you're like, oh, this is three mana or one mana and four life. That's actually two mana and or four life somewhere in there. Uh, this is solid. Uh, I'm up for any Oil Slick foil, uh, especially you're not calling it to do anything crazy like triple up. 12 to 20 is completely reasonable gains. You'll be able to sell through copies once it goes up. There's only 60 copy, 60 vendors on TCG Player. Nobody has crazy quantities one vendor has 12 and then there's an eight a five and two fours so the supply is at the right level and the card is good enough and rare enough and in a sweet enough version that yeah this is this is a very good pick and you can talk me into basically any oil slick card at this point most of the oil slicks have something between 80 and 130 listings on tcg player but all will be one because it's been so heavily targeted recently and has already provided a double up for people, is down to 22 listings. Yeah. So it, it goes to show that once the shine is on one of these for some specific reason, the they can drain out very quickly. So I've, I've got my eye on a few others of these that we haven't talked about yet, but for now, I'm, it does look like Zopandrel is probably the most undervalued. I'm with you on that. I, I agree completely. All right. What about your first selection? Uh, my first pick this week is the second most popular card from Dominaria United. If you didn't know what card that is, uh, the most popular is Plaza of Heroes. That's in something like nearly 60,000 commander decks. But just underneath that, surprisingly, is Braids the Arisen Nightmare. And there's a game day version of this from last year that I believe was given out to top eight participants as a... Um, uh, you made it to the top eight, so you get this game day foil. You can get this game day foil for about eight bucks on TCG Player, and this is the rarest price. Uh, I'm sorry, the rarest version. It's got the highest buy-in, but the good news here is that there's no more coming of this card. So this is the the more chase version. It has different art, slightly different frame. It doesn't have the same art as the showcase version. It just looks really neat. It it looks better. I think, and uh, while I really miss the like completely no frame at all game day cards, like I'm I'm really into the Thalia and the Gitrog monster that we recently got that was completely textless. I think that this is really good, and there being no more versions coming, nobody's going to find a pallet of Dominaria United. We're not going to see the gaming company break out 200 copies of this card. So going eight to seventeen dollars seems totally reasonable for the this super popular card that goes into a whole lot of different archetypes. 
My main concern with this is that even though it had a relatively limited distribution pattern, it has done nothing but go down since day one. It was originally about $17, it's gotten down as low as 9 bounced up to 10 fell back down to $8.50. I have a feeling this continues to languish for a while. So while I agree that this would be on my radar because the play pattern for it is quite strong in the biggest format, uh, it's not clear to me that people are tripping over themselves to corner the market on this or... And I think there's actually just going to be a lot of players that don't even know this version exists. And because TCG Player specifically doesn't make it easy for people to find these alternate versions, like the way that this should work is on one any given card details page on TCG Player, there should be links to the other versions. Well, it has uh, right there, see all versions. It has, show me all the versions, but I won't show you versions that are borderless. I won't show you versions that are etched foil. I won't show you versions that are halo foil. Yes, if they if they have a mod if they have a modifier in the title, then it's considered a different title. That's the flaw in the, in the coding. But that all versions link is relatively subtle and doesn't really get to the heart of the matter, which is that there are alternate arts. Like TCG player just doesn't seem to understand the value of showing you the alternate arts <laughs> of a card, and even doing something like ranking them by by percentage sold or something or popu- or you know, letting people rate the arts so that people, they could push people towards the ones that are going to be most satisfying to own. Putting all of that aside, I have a feeling these get lower before they get higher. I, I suspect we can probably snap these off a year from now at five bucks. Mm. Just right. because it were at 79 listings. There aren't like mega walls, but there's plenty of five, sixes, 14s, 11s, right. and so Store forth. Fronts. Yeah, the ramp is... It's basically because any store that didn't get rid of these on site has them to resell. And there's plenty of kind of sketchy stores that don't hand all, out all the copies they're supposed to, either because their tournaments don't fire, which is fine, or because they deliberately look to resell them separately. Not so fine. The pace of sales is reasonable. It's three or four copies a day, which is pretty good for any premium card on TCG Player, in my experience. I just think we've got time on this. I've looked at this myself multiple times, multiple versions of the card. I also like the stained glass version for this particular uh, card. I agree with you that the championship promo is the rarest and the nicest. I think you can just kind of put it on your watch list and you know bite, bite off a personal copy to start to get it on your radar and then wait because people just keep seem to keep undercutting the price on the card. Now, if it took off as a four of in standard, that would be different because right. then it could it could push higher pretty quick. But there doesn't seem to be any evidence that that's going to be the case. And especially in like Black, Red, and Pioneer, those slots are so – like it's hard. It's hard to break into that list because there's already a bunch of really good cards. So like if you print a really good replacement for a Fatal Push at one mana, that will make it into the list. But a <laughs> me- medium quality value three drop is tough. Okay. I'm – I'm, I see where you're coming from on it. might drift down another buck or two in value, and that would be a, a delightful way to move in. It's entirely possible. Now, we, we also have the same kind of thing with my next selection here, in some ways. The I'm looking at another one of the Halo Foil uh, rares out of Aftermath. If it was a Mythic, you could get more confident quicker. Plarg and Nasari is an underrated card, I think, by a lot of players. And so the question becomes, are they going to figure out that they're supposed to be playing this card in their red decks? So far, it's the fourth most played card 
on EDH rec from Aftermath. Filter out the blue instant that returns all non-creature, non-land permanents to their owner's hands is in first place. Reckless Handling is in second. Nissa is in third. Plarg is right behind Nissa, like 50 decks less at 1,726 decks, 2% of all red decks. This is a 5 4 for 5. Orc Afrit. Orc is relevant all of a sudden because of Lord of the Rings, by the way. At the beginning of your upkeep, each player exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non land card. An opponent chooses a non land card exiled this way. You may cast up to two spells from among the other cards. So basically, if you have three opponents, three cards get flipped up. Four. Oh, yeah, each player. It's all four of you. So then they get to, you pick the opponent. You get to negotiate with them <laughs> before they pick which one you can't have. Now, if there's something amazing on there, like a Rhystic Study, probably no one is going to be convinced to let you have it unless, you know, you have tools that you can offer. You know, I'm not going to attack you with a 10-10 or whatever. My my experience with negoti- negotiable cards like Protection Racket and Scheming Symmetry is that they are wildly underplayed despite their stats. Because if you have any uh, acumen in negotiation and being, you know, coming up with reasonable scenarios that benefit both players, you can usually get what you want. And this is a card that generates protection racket level value pretty much every turn. Now, it costs five instead of three, like some of your other options. But you also get to, you don't just get the cards, you cast them. Right. So that's an upkeep trigger two things cast <laughs> that's a lot of things being cast for free uh halo foils are currently at nine dollars or so and i think for them to go nine to 20 given that there's only 26 listings seems pretty likely it does ramp pretty quickly from the ten dollar ish copies to like there's one person in between 10 and 20 and then it jumps right to 20 so I agree with you about this. Um, there is a big market for cards that do this. Well, they're not a big market, like but the same market that we talked about the other day with Atali, where you get to play the top of other people's decks. And this either goes into that deck or this is the commander you want to have, so you always have access to it. Uh, I'm with you on, you can like you said, you can talk me into pretty much any Halo foil from Aftermath because they are so difficult to pull and yeah this is uh, a winner i think this is a a good pick to go to twenty dollars sometime in the next year 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 and a half that seems totally reasonable to me if you wanted to wait to get in a little bit later <clears throat> i would be on board with that but there's only 26 current listing 26 vendors currently and let's see only a lot of them have no only two people have more than four so and they're already at $20. So you're in business. I think this is a solid pick. And this might be the one that our pro traders do some work on and we feel bad about the next day. All right. What's your final selection? My last pick this week is a card that has been picked twice on this cast in the last year, only not in this version. So Bootlegger Stash, the Borderless Foils, have come all the way down to 9 bucks. This is from Streets of New Capenna. It's been out for the longest time. It's only got 27,000 decks, and I think that's an artifact of the actual casting cost being six mana. 
but there's only one notable wall of copies the gaming company has 35 and the number of synergies on this card is really ridiculous so uh this was picked in regular non-foil about a year ago and then borderless non-foil around 25 weeks ago so it's had everybody has talked about how great it is but the card just kept falling and nobody had picked the actual borderless foil which is the rarest version so i'm here to say that it's going to go nine to twenty dollars sometime in the next 12 to 18 months the issue of course with anything from snc is that it has basically just drifted down and down and down and down and down there was plenty of extra snc cbs sitting around so there was lots of cheap accessed mass cracking jobs on this set just as there was with things like Kaldheim um, and even Neon Dynasty has caught some of that action a few months back although I don't think that was CBs I think it was more draft or set booster boxes for that set the stash has been pretty steady since mid-December so it definitely people thought it was utterly broken when it was first revealed and it and then people like a few weeks later were saying it was trash I've played it in uh, Corvold the whole time and also in Ginny Fey, and it's been excellent in both decks. Where Anywhere where you can leverage a bunch of treasure tokens or a bunch of artifacts coming into play, or you're in the case of Ginny Fey, your, yeah. your lands make three one vigilance creatures. <laughs> or two two haste, com- whichever you need. Yeah, it's just completely ridiculous. Because it's been even and like pretty steady for six months... I think what you're looking for is your inflection point back in the other direction. And I don't think we're anywhere close because you called to go 12 to 25. Right. And they got all the way down to four or $5 or something. Yes. And 12, 12. And that was one that was marked as don't buy before 12. We're not at 12 yet, because I think it, at that point, the copies were still over 15 and I was saying they're going to get down to at least 12, but they, in fact, they got all the way down to $4. So, Everybody that's touched this so far has been early, and I would imagine that this is just going to languish at this position for quite some time. So I think personal copies totally fine at this price point. It's been steady for six months, but I'm not in any rush to pick up copies at five or six until I see the listings you know, start to hollow out, which could take a while. I think the art choice between borderless and regular is a no-brainer. The borderless is way nicer, way and nicer. the borderless foils are... Borderless foils are even nicer than that, and you you pay about a fifty percent premium for those. They're down to like nine fifty or so, as you said. How many do we have of the foils? Ninety one listings. Yes. Gaming but, company has thirty five in stock. Yep. Yeah, but nobody else has more than five. And the ramp to the thing is the ramp is very shallow here. There's nobody with like in the first thirty listings that's above eleven bucks per copy. Right. So that's a, a sign that we don't have price appreciation in the very near future. Uh, on the other hand, this could be a card they forget to print for years. I'm, this has, this reeks to me as the kind of mythic that could be forgotten about for 10 years by Wizards. Or it could show up in a secret layer next year. I mean, there's there's no way of knowing, man. They might say, this is already cheap enough that we can put a regular copy into a commander deck into uh whatever reprint we want to do and that is totally a thing this is exactly the kind of card especially in non-foil regular frame 
that because it's so cheap, they feel like they can keep just tossing it in any deck that wants an artifact theme. Uh, this, thank God, it doesn't go into Brea or a lot of the artifact colors. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that was that was a very deliberate choice. If this had been deliberate. five in a blue, if this had been five in a blue, it'd be a thirty dollar card. It'd be more than that. But yeah, that you you've accurately identified uh, potential risks. I just think that with the price being as stable and low as it is, that yeah, I feel okay saying that this is a, a time to get in. It is down uh, according to TCG's graph. It's down about a dollar since uh, March. So maybe we are a little bit early, but it's hard to imagine it goes too much cheaper. I might just re-up anything that's left over. Yeah, I think it's steady. I just think we can get in at the same price in six months. Okay. So I, I like the card. I like I, I'm probably the biggest champion of this card. I think it's I've played it a lot. It's always been good. I've never been disappointed even in the late game to draw it. So I you know, the and the EDH rec stats are very solid on the card, which I'm sure was the impetus of your decision in the first place. That and uh, I've I saw it played at uh, my local store. There's a somebody with the uh, the ape commander who makes uh, the, the bananas for everybody. And sure. he was just abusing the hell out of this card, and I was super jealous. What One of our pro traders plays that deck at a pretty high level, and it is very dangerous. It is dangerous. <laughs> it, it basically punishes you anytime you sack an artifact. So he gives it, the whole point is he gives you a bunch of treasures and then dares you to use them. <laughs> Go ahead, do it. I dare you. Looking at over on this, I think Plarg and Zopandril are likely to accelerate ahead of Braids and, and Stash, but all four cards are good. Moving on over to the ban and restricted announcements for this week. They just banned some stuff in standard, right? Yep. It was Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Invoke Despair and Reckoner Bankbuster. They basically tore the heart out of the black red deck and did very little to the other decks in the form did nothing to the other decks in the format, quite frankly. Bankbuster was in some other decks but they were mainly concerned with how ubiquitous Fable was. You know, it enables a lot of reanimation strategies. Invoke Despair is just a ridiculous five for one, or you, you're, you're either getting their card or you're getting a card. So being able to cast Invoke Despair is very, very powerful. And mana bases were completely tuned to that. And Fable was one of the things that helped you do it that much quicker because you got the treasure token and you got the double... Uh, discard. Thing is, Fable's played in Pioneer, Modern, and EDH still. Even shows up in Legacy here and there. It's a vintage cube and cube staple. The total number of listings for foil showcases are at 40 listings. Nobody has very deep walls there, and the ramp's still pretty steep. It looks like regular copies of Showcase have fallen off since Ant anticipation of this announcement i think a lot of people expected fable was on the shopping block right so from two weeks ago or so it had taken a downturn from eh, 31 or so to 25 or 26 and i think regular copies are down two or three dollars but the foils haven't dipped off hard on showcase and nor do i think they should given the very broad play pattern on the card yeah, I, I would not be panic selling at all. Uh, this is a card that's that's going to hold up well. Uh, at least Fable is. I don't... Do you feel the same way about the other cards that were mentioned here? Bankbuster and Invoke? Reckoner, Reckoner and Invoke were cards I've pulled out of Neon Dynasty crack jobs a few times looking to sell them. But unless you're selling them as full sets, I'm not particularly interested. Because they're like 2 or $3 cards. Right. So Or even less. 
So, you know, this cuts off some of that demand, but it, it's not a huge deal one way or the other. Like, it, if, you, if you're the kind of person that's churning sub $5 cards, you were already selling through on this stuff kind of over the, since Neon Dynasty was released. You've had plenty of time to get out if you needed to, and I don't think anybody was, you know, clinging to a huge brick of, of Bankbuster hoping it was a $15 card. Yeah, I don't think anybody... I hope you didn't expect Bankbuster to get to $15. And then uh, keep in mind that we have another Band and Restricted announcement on August 7th. That is the planned one, aside from their new strategy of... They have the third week, is it, that they said? Three weeks after... Let's see, a Band and Restricted update on the third Monday after every set release specifically dedicated to addressing large environmental imbalances... That is what we should call the um, Hogak exception. All right, let's get to the fun part of the cast. <laughs> I love I love Lord of the Rings. I know you love Lord of the Rings. Everybody, all, all the Lord of the Rings fans have been crossing their fingers, hoping the set was going to be good. And despite it being mo- direct to modern and beyond, so it's not standard Pioneer legal like Aftermath, but it's was modern legal. The question was, how much stuff is going to be in this set that could be played in modern that could therefore benefit from multi-format demand simultaneously and and as a result be a strong spec? So far, most of what I see here is extremely EDH-focused. Extremely commander. As per usual, there will almost certainly be a couple of things that surprise people. Keep in mind that just a few weeks ago, people were looking at Nyssa out of Aftermath and just rushing right past it not seeing the potential with all the with omnath and all the other elementals in modern so i suspect there will be a couple of cases like that here as well where these cards will uh leak into the format specifically look for the things that you can either cheat into play like your archon of cruelty style cards that seem too expensive for modern play but actually have uh solid play patterns or are very cheap like something that approximates a ragavan so far i haven't seen that what I have seen is some very, very good EDH staples. Case in point, for a lot of the main characters, they did uncommon, rare, and mythic versions of the characters, and we had not seen the mythic Gandalf yet. So they showed off today Gandalf the White. This is a 4-5 avatar wizard with Flash for 5, two and two white, uh, 3 and 2 white. You can cast legendary spells and artifact spells as though they had Flash. If a legendary permanent or an artifact entering or leaving the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, it triggers twice. <laughs> so in Joda, uh, actually, in Joda is a cast trigger, right? Joda, yes, you don't get it's not a come into play. It's when you cast it, you get the cascade. Right. So, but it still makes it into Joda because you get to cast the legendary spells at flash speed. Which lets you play... And there's plenty of legendary ETBs going on in your deck, I'm certain. Yeah. And it also lets you get Jota triggers at instant speed. Yeah, which is also pretty amazing. That's gross. Well, there's a lot of gross. I mean, we haven't even started to get gross yet. (laughs) You could could go Jota past turn and hold up Gandalf the White and or Teferi's Protection or some other, or a Counterspell or whatever. You go along... Somebody tries to kill Joda, you can decide, you can opt to uh, counter it. If nobody tries to kill Joda, and then somebody decides to get uppity and attack into your board position because it looks empty, you can cast Gandalf, which will trigger Joda. 
which will go pull a four drop or or less into play. And if it hasn't ETB, it's going to trigger twice. <laughs> twice. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, keep... it's and also in decks like Brea or any of these like Esper or Jeskai um, specific decks that care about artifacts coming in and out of play, or even in something like Tesa Karlov, where it's about things dying. Gandalf's just good, good, good all across the board there. Yeah, because it's legendary permanence or any artifact, and it's entering or leaving. So yeah. any associated, like whenever your stuff dies, you get uh, an ability. This goes into anything that says whenever an artifact dies, each player loses a life, or you get a counter, or you you name it. Like Gandalf is going to be an amazing accessory in a really wide number of decks a lot of good mythics here. They showed off Storm of Saruman for, for Blue Blue. That's a scene you don't see in the movies. I think it's in the books only. Uh, it's an enchantment with Ward 3, so it can't be easily gotten rid of. And it gives me kind of like Thousand Year Storm-esque vibes. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, copy it, except the copy isn't legendary and you can choose new targets for the copy. So it's doubling everything. Doubling and if you're... Only the second spell each turn. Sure, but you're you know you're going to be in a deck where you've got all sorts of like brainstormy like effects that are going to cantrip and then make sure you're set up to cast a second spell. And note that it's uh, copying on casting the second. So even if they counter the thing that you cast, you're yeah. still going to get the copy. Yeah. You still get the copy trigger. So they can't even if they can copy one, they're not going to get the second. And it also lets you play multiple copies of your commander. Yeah, that's the part I'm really looking forward which, to. Which is always good like as much as Del- as spark double is played it's underplayed as much as sakashima of a thousand faces is played it's underplayed there are very few commanders that do not that are in blue that would not benefit from having multiple copies of themselves in play i've had multiple gearsons in play in the last week i've seen uh multiples of ionis is that the the green blue is it lonus or ionis i always forget the one that makes cl- the one that makes clues when creatures come into play on your side, yeah. So if you have if you spark double it, then you're getting two clues, and then it taps to sack clues, and then you get to look at cards from the top of your opponent's library to cast spells for free, if I'm not mistaken. That's pretty neat. Uh, one thing about Storm of Saruman that uh, fits in with stuff we talked about is that if you are in a like a red blue deck or red blue green, this plays really well with things like Atali. Or Plarg and uh, what was the other one? The other part of Plarg, uh, Plarg and Plarg and Nisari. So because those are you're casting those. So anything that has a cast wording, you really want to be paying attention to. Yeah, indeed. I mean, bottom bottom line, if you can keep this on the board, and the Ward Three certainly helps with that, is going to do a lot of work. Similarly, Witch King of Angmar uh, has my attention. It's interesting. No Mercy is only in 10,000 EDH decks. Seems extremely wrong to me. That's such a good Rattlesnake effect. No one wants to lose creatures to attack you. They're only going to do that if they're Alpha Striking. So, 3 Black Black for a 5-3 Flyer, Wraith Noble. Whenever one or more creatures deals combat damage to you, they sacrifice, sacrifice that creature that dealt combat damage to you. Then the Ring tempts you. Don't underestimate the ring bonuses because they add up. Discard a card, give it indestructible until end of turn, and tap it. So it's hard to kill, 
It's a no mercy. It's a 5-3 flyer. That goes in a whole lot of black decks. Mm-hmm. It's a very powerful card. There's a lot to be said for just giant, very difficult to kill, and will take out uh, most Planeswalkers in a single attack. This is a, a very good card, and I don't think that... I think you're right, not enough people play it. I don't think this will be its own commander very often, but I think this is going to get put into a ton of decks. And I bet this this ring uh, frame, I bet this looks sick in foil. I can't wait to see these. Oh, yeah. I bet you the elven writing looks excellent in foil. Here's the thing. Because you get to discard a card to make it indestructible, it's going to be a lock to be included in Sauron the Dark Lord, the mythic version of Sauron they showed off. Because Sauron is three blue, black, red for a 7-6. Avatar Horror. Ward is the most punishing I can recall seeing. They have to sack a legendary artifact or legendary creature. So if you want to kill my commander, you got to kill yours. That's going to be massive rattlesnake action. Whenever an opponent casts any spell, a mass orcs one. So you get a 1-1 orc for any time they cast a spell. And then if they cast another spell, another opponent casts one, it'll grow. You won't get another token. That one token will just get right. bigger. It just gets bigger and bigger until they kill it, and then it starts over, right? Yeah. Whenever an army you control deals combat damage to a player, the ring tempts you. So if that orc hits anybody, or any of your other armies uh, hit the opponent. And there was a whole bunch of amass zombie cards that'll slide into this deck as a result. Right. Everything zombie army is going to get a little renaissance. Whenever the ring tempts you, you may discard your hand if you do draw four cards. So, <laughs> this is very strong, right? Because six is not that bad. But if you fill the deck with a bunch of reanimation effects, like four four to six reanimation effects, and you've got Witch King to discard Sauron to the yard, then you're going to have Sauron in play a lot. Because first of all, his ward keeps him in play way more than the average commander. And... He's re- in a black deck, he's going to be relatively easy to get back. So they're going to have to deal with this kind of all the time. It's a pretty amazing card. They put this real punishing ward on there, I think, to showcase you know power level. They did something really similar with the Saruman of Many Colors, who's three Esper. And he's got ward to discant- discard an enchantment, an instant, or a sorcery. So not just discard a card, but you have to have one of these specifically. Yeah, so you gotta you gotta like swords them and discard your Ristic study, which is also excellent rattlesnake action. Just any kind of ward where you're costing them an extra card is good, but ha- yeah. making them have to have this specific kind of card is pretty amazing. The Saruman is you know gonna have Saruman Storm in it because it says whenever you cast your second spell each turn, each opponent mills two cards. When you mill cards this way, exile target enchantment instant or sorcery with equal or lesser manual value from than the spell from an opponent's graveyard. So it's less than what you cast, what your second spell was. And then copy the exiled card and cast it without paying its mana cost. Less or equal. So if you cast yeah. a three, you know, you cast a Ristic Study, then you can fire off a Teferi's Protection out of their yard. As long as Ristic Study is your second spell, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, which presumably this deck's just going to be full of cantrips, so it's going to do that all the time. I, I don't think it'll be difficult, no. So, I mean, these both of those look like very solid commanders to build around. They also gave us the f- new Frodo and the new Sam that come in the commander decks. 
So it's if it's got the the big ring and the triangle, that means it is. We haven't gotten any of the commander cards yet, right? These are all. No, we have. No, we have. We've got a bunch of the commander cards. Yeah. They they showed off a, a whole bunch of stuff from the decks today. Ah, here it is. Frodo Adventurous Hobbit, white and a black, one three halfling scout. Partner with Sam, so it's a partner commander. You get Sam and Frodo. That seems likely to be extremely popular to build. Right. It's just so thematically solid and works with so many of the cards that are in the colors they spread them across because Frodo they made a white black Sam they made white green so you're an Abzan you get to use all the associated stuff it's a 1-3 vigilance whenever Frodo attacks if you gain three or more life this turn the ring tempts you then if Frodo is your ring bearer and the ring has tempted you two or more times this game draw a card that's not going to be hard to pull off that's going to be super easy and keep in mind that the version of the ring they showed off as bilbo's ring bilbo's ring is different from the one ring yes right so bilbo's ring is an is the undiscovered version of the one ring and it's three casting costs instead of four uh legendary artifact as long as you is it's your turn a creature has hex proof and can't be blocked so that means if you put that on frodo no one's blocking it ever and they can't target it either Whenever it attacks alone, you draw a card and lose a life. So if you've been tempted twice, Frodo's drawing two cards if he's wearing Bilbo's ring. And the equip on Frodo is one because he's a halfling, whereas the equip on anything else is four. So they, they're they giving you all the pieces on a silver platter for this deck. Like Sam's half of the equation is that he is a, yeah, two, four for three. At the beginning of your combat on your turn, create a food token, and then activated abilities of foods control one cost one less. So he's making foods that are one sack gain three life. And Frodo gets tempted by the ring if you gain three life. So if they're both in play together, this whole thing just is deliberately synergistic in a in a very strong way. And then they also gave you things like the Shire as a legendary land. Uh, enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. So if you have either of them in play, it comes into play untapped. So it's strictly better than a forest. One in a green, tap an untapped creature you control, create a food token. I mean, they, they, they're, they're giving it, serving it up on a silver platter here, right? Yeah, they're making it real, real easy for us. So I, I think that that's going to be a popular build. You, you're going to want to look at all the, like there's the white enchantment for two, where if you gain four or more life three times you get to start making four four angels uh that i play in my aloro deck you just want to go check out all of the life gain commander cards on edh rec and figure out which ones can slide in here pretty easily things like a siege rhino where there's a three-point life swing is going to trigger frodo and give you a nice blocking body but they didn't even stop there pippin and mary look like they come out of that deck too and pippin warden of isengard is black green for a two two partners with Pippin so you could play it either way that's going to be cute because the whole deck has synergy but you don't have to play the same two commanders all the time yeah you can switch it up as depending on what you want to do and just swap the other two into the 99 like that's a very nice kind of long-term deck to own because it's got a lot of flexibility and Pippin is one tap creative food token so that feeds into the other two and then tap sack four foods other creatures you control get plus three plus three gain haste Activate only as a sorcery. Mary is whenever one or more artifacts enters the battlefield under your control, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token with lifelink. So if you get all four cards in play, shit gets crazy. (laughs) Yes. Yes, they do. Keep in mind that you can, um, 
if you find even if your deck is got Frodo and Sam as the commanders, you know, Pippin and Mary, they've got partner with each other. So if you happen to draw one, then you'll grab the other one too. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And then uh, Bilbo is also, the deck is Obzon, clearly. And uh, so Bilbo is all three Obzon colors, white, black, green. Two, three, if you would gain life, you gain that much life plus one instead. And then two, white, black, green, tap, exile him. Search your library for any number of creature cards. Put them onto the battlefield and then shuffle. Activate only if you have 111 or more life. Because... (laughs) That is exactly the kind of thematic thing that commanders, that players are here for. So you will build the Bilbo life gain deck and you will have it as your mission in life to activate this at least once a month. They really put some effort into making a bunch of interlocking puzzle pieces here and giving you a bunch of really fun builds to mess around with. I see some very popular commanders coming out of here. Like it will not surprise me at all to see three or four of the available commander options out of Lord of the Rings skyrocket into the top ten in the first month. I think the human stuff is really going to go crazy, and once these become available to uh, all of us, so the the commander cards are not modern legal, correct? Correct. All right, thank God, because Aon, like I realize she's a, a five mana. She's a five drop, so probably not. But it is a very good humans card. It's crazy. Two Jeskai for a 5-4 human knight first strike. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if another human entered the battlefield under your control this turn, you create two two red human knight creature tokens with trample and haste. And if you control six or more humans, draw a card. That's a very good snowball commander. Yeah, that's real. I'm probably going to write an article about it for Friday just with the humans most likely to go crazy. But this is uh, exactly the kind of thing you want to build around. I do love a commander that tells you exactly what you want to be doing. You want to play as many humans as you can. Preferably, I want to make some human creature tokens the turn this comes down. And then get some more stuff attacking and just doing obscene things. They showed off the rest of the legendary lands today that are all rares. All of them rares. Except Mount Doom. Mount Doom is a mythic. So they showed off Minas Tirith, Barad-dûr, Mines of Moria, and Rivendell. And, I mean, these are all great. <laughs> they are they all enter the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. So if you have a relatively cheap commander or a commander that's relatively easy to keep on the battlefield, like Sauron or uh, Sauron, then you're, you're going to get a lot of mileage out of these. And, you know, your worst case scenario is that you're getting it tapped up front, but then you've got a really good activated ability for later. Minas Tirith is one white tap draw card, activated only if you attack with two or more creatures this turn. Ding. Think about a, think about a deck like Ginny Faye or Jetmere or really any aggro white deck. You're going to run this for sure and find room for it. And the closer you are to monocolor, the more automatic that inclusion will be because you it's in the monocolored decks you it's very easy to cut five basics for five special lands if they're good enough baradur lets you you know task for black and has the same condition about legendary creatures and then xx black amass orcs x activate only if a creature died this turn that's pretty fun to abuse because that's two and a black tap make a one one token you'd play that you would absolutely play that uh a land that makes you a creature token is great and this scales up. Five mana gets you a 2-2. Two, two, uh, seven mana gets you a 3-3. Three, three. 
Well, and things that reduce the cost of activated abilities are going to play in here. I don't know if that's on lands, but I like the way you're going. Well, anything that... If it just says activated abilities of permanence, it will. Yeah. Uh, Mines Moria, also good. It uh, looks like I would slide this into my Corvold deck, for instance. Taps for red, three and a red. Exile three cards from your graveyard, create two treasure tokens. If you have a deck that leverages treasure tokens, like Ginny Fey, like Corvold, like many others, you and you don't have a heavy recursion theme out of your yard, then you're going to be in the mid-game. You'll probably have 12 or 14 cards in there. You'll be all too happy to generate treasures uh, with any unused mana. It's not as good as the other ones because four to get two is not all that compelling. But if that's, you know, in Ginny Fey, that's going to be four to get two creatures, which is very yeah, good. That would be pretty amazing. And then Rivendell, uh, we already talked about the Shire weeks ago that uh, one green tap, tapped on tap creature makes a food token. Clearly that's the theme of that deck. But Rivendell enters unless you control a legendary creature, taps for blue. One in a blue tap, scry two, activate only if you control a legendary creature. Uh, quick question for you. Would you rather draw <laughs> the card directly or scry two? Uh, would I rather this say two tap draw card? No, no. Uh, I'm just asking, like, so we have Minas Tirith and Rivendell next to each other. Which ability oh, do I you see. think is better? Um, well, they're in different decks. Like, Rivendell is going to go into Joda where you always have a legendary creature in play, and then this is just scry two for two, which is ridiculous. And especially in a deck where manipulating the top of your library matters because you're you're getting Joda triggers. I think Rivendell's a better uh, card, actually. Yes, I agree with you. It depends on how aggro you are. The more likely it is that you're attacking, the better Minas Tirith gets. So I still you know, like Ginny Fey is the is always attacking from turn three onward. So it's very good there. In a more controlish white build than Minas Tirith is probably not ever even included but bottom line i'm very happy with these rares these are lands you will see in a commander for years mm -hmm. they sh they showed nazgul there are nine arts it's all the same card they're all a one two death touch wraith knight when nazgul enters the battlefield the ring tempts you whenever the ring tempts you put a plus one plus one counter on each wraith you control a deck can have up to nine cards named nazgul now, one of the really cute things here is one of the most popular commanders of the last little while has been Sadar Jabari, which cares about knights. And that commander reads that whenever you attack with one or more knights, if Sadar Jabari is in the command zone or on the battlefield, you draw a card, then discard a card, flying first strike 4-3. Whenever Sadar Jabari deals combat damage to a player, return target creature, knight creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So... <laughs> The ring tempts you when you play any of the Nazgul. When the ring tempts you, all of the Nazgul get a plus one, plus one counter. So if you have three in play, they go to uh, the first. When the second one comes in, they both become two threes. When the third one comes in, they both become three fours. You've now tempted the ring three times, and they all have death touch. This is an, might be an auto include to find the nine slots for the Nazgul in Sadar Jabari, who is the second most popular commander right now after Atraxa. I see where you're going, but I I feel like if I'm building a knight deck, especially a three-color knight deck, I'm not sure that I want to give up nine of my creature slots. You know, I've only got 40-ish, 37, maybe I'm up to 50. The thing is, it's like a two-card engine. I, I agree between Sadar and the Nat good. And, and because they bring each other back from vis-a-vis -vis of Sadar, 
Like, they have Death Touch, so they're easy to get in. And then that means that Sadar is going to get his return a knight from the battlefield trigger. That means the Nazgul are going to get bigger. They wipe the Nazgul. You're going to, you're just going to get in again with Sadar and we start bringing them back again. This is kind of too good to ignore because you can play things like what's the recently reprinted five casting cost black spell that brings back all creatures of a certain type. Patriarch's bidding. One of my favorite right. cards in existence. Yeah. So you, you cast that on knights and this just gets silly. Yeah. Because, you know, dump all your Nazgul into the yard and then bring them all back together. That's crazy talk. So I think Nazgul has brick potential. Uh, the fact that there are nine different arts means people will want to get one of each art. So having bricks that are evenly balanced between the nine versions. And I'm so sorry to the vendors and website runners. They have different that have collector to... numbers. Yeah, but they still have to manage the inventory for nine versions of the same card. This is very true. And they're going to get requests all the time for nine different arts. <laughs> and then their staff are going to pull the wrong ones and people are going to get pissed. So Nazgul, super smart, like such a smart uncommon, especially given where things are at with Sadar. Uh, they also showed off Orcish Bowmasters. Looks like a very solid black EDH staple. One in a black for a 1-1 Orc Archer with Flash. When it enters the battlefield and whenever an opponent draws a card, except the first one they draw in each of their draw steps, deals one damage to any target, and you amass orcs one. That is a very good card. That's a ridiculous card. Because having flash means you're absolutely getting the first set of triggers, and already at that point you have gotten two creatures for two mana and hit some, pinged something for one. Yeah. And so if you if you can double up on those triggers in some way... Or you've got reason to be sacrificing the... Because the best use of amass cards is that you sack them to something and then the next time you amass, you get another one. Yeah, you get the, all the I mean, that, freebies going on. You've also got Aomer, Marshal of Rohan, 2 and 2 red for a haste 4-4. Four, four. Whenever one or more other attacking legendary creatures you control die, untap all creatures you control after this phase. There's an, you know, the last thing that Joda needed... <laughs> Was multiple attack is triggers. That, is that when I swing with like five Transformers and Eomer, and you bl- manage to actually block and kill one of my guys, I just untap the rest and Alpha Strike you. This is such a good card in so many decks. Unfortunately, it's a knight that cannot go in Sadar because it's red. But this is one of those... These like get a second attack phase cards have often ended up worth money. Yeah, it, most of them are, are absolutely going to be worth it and impressive like these like there's so many different ways to abuse these triggers too yeah uh legolas is probably going to be a pretty cute commander uh i don't think it'll be in the top five from this set but it's fun more fun than it looks at first glance one four for one double green reach elf archer whenever you cast a spell that targets legolas put a plus one plus one counter on him Whenever you cast a spell that targets a creature you don't control, Legolas deals damage equal to the pow- its power to up to one target creature. Basically, it turns punches into double punches. So you Cosmic Hunger Legolas, you've targeted him, he becomes a 2-5, and the other half of the spell targets another creature, Legolas kills it, and presumably you're trying to give Legolas Death Touch with Basilisk Collar and whatever, and then he hits another creature on an opponent's board. So he, every punch is just is killing two things on board is going to be what that deck's all about. Yeah, this is a, a deck that wants all the uh, hexproof equipment, all the indestructible equipment, and just a bunch of punch and fight cards. 
and because you're dealing damage to the creature, but then you're just going to get them real huge real quick. So I I, I like where this is going to go. If it wasn't called Legolas, it would see less play, but it's Legolas. Yeah. So there's just going to be Legolas fans that want to build it. Likewise, Aragorn the Unifier, going to see a big lot money, of build. Big money on big, that guy. Big, big, big commander incoming here, folks. This is four colors without black, naturally. Red, green, white, blue. Five, five, human, noble. Whenever you cast a white spell, you get a one white, one, one white human soldier creature token. Whenever you cast a blue spell, you scry two. Whenever you cast a red spell, you deal three to an opponent. Whenever you cast a green spell, target creature gets plus four, plus four until end of turn. So the whole deal here is you just fill your deck with three casting cost, Jeskai, and Bant cards, and just go to fucking town. And then you supplement it with things like uh, the blue enchantment for one and two blue, where anytime a creature comes into play, you pay one to bounce it back to your hand. To, to bounce another creature back to your hand? I believe that's... It's not opposition. It's um, equilibrium. Thank you. Uh, I posted on that in the Discord earlier today because that's kind of... That and gateway creatures from Plane Shift. Right. The like white, the white-blue ones that will bounce themselves. The red-green Kavu that returns a Kavu, so you're going to get three damage yeah. and plus four, plus four <laughs> to something. <laughs> exactly so you're just going to play all those gating creatures so i would look at the gating creature foils because those are real old and they're never getting reprinted so aragorn could drive traffic on those for sure and then any of those good jeskai and bant cards that fit into the general themes here are are going to do very well don't forget about uh, uh elish norn lets you copy all, well no these are all cast triggers so these aren't enters it's important to note these are cast triggers not come into play triggers so yeah. Elish Norn, Gallandalf the White, Penharmonicon, they do not work with Aragorn. Yeah, but anything that doubles uh, triggers in general will. Yes, but there's a lot less of those. So something like a Stryonic Resonator is going to be an auto-include here, right? I think that would be true. Isn't that, that cost? Yeah, it's, copy, it's two to play, two to copy target triggered ability. Yeah. That'll so you get to choose which of his triggers you want to double up on. Doubling the red one is no joke. That's that go, each that has, gate. Yeah, if you cast the gate creature for two, three times in a turn with a Strionic Resonator out, you could do three, six, nine, probably 12, because you t- you're going to copy at least one of those triggers with the Resonator. That's fast damage. Yeah, so Ar- Aragorn is a unique commander. We don't really have another commander that functions in this way, and certainly not in this these four colors. So likely to be very popular. The other one that jumps out at me as a staple is Merkwood Bats, which I said was brickable in the Discord. Three and a black for a two-three flyer. Whenever you you create or sacrifice a token, each opponent loses a life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is increasingly laughably easy to do. It really So for is. instance, so, for instance, in the Sam Frodo Mary Pippin deck with uh, his uncle, you're absolutely including Merkwood bats because you're making food constantly. So every time you create the food, they each, op- each opponent loses a life. And each time you sack the food, which Sam is letting you do for one mana, they lose a life. So every food, you're going to get like two, three, four food a turn in that deck. And you're going to have ways to, presumably ways to sack as many food as you want at any one time with stuff that lets you sack artifacts. 
and you're going to run the one casting cost black creature that says opponents are drained for one every time you sack an artifact. And that deck might not even need to attack to kill you. Yeah, no, the uh, that's going into my Iara deck, and it very rarely attacks to kill somebody. The only reason it attacks is because I've got Sword of the Animist and Sword of Forge and Frontier in there just to get more lands. Uh, Shadow of the Enemy is one of the other mythics that I think I'm higher on than some other people are. It's three and triple black for sorcery. Exile all creature cards from target player's graveyard. You may cast spells from among those cards for as long as they remain exiled, and mana of any type can be spent to cast them. It's a little weird because, like, there's other five casting cost sorceries that can get a bunch of creatures back from the yard. You can Living Death. You can... Patriarch's bidding. Thank you. And, but the extra mana on this is worth it to clear somebody's graveyard. Like, I play Muldrotha a lot in our uh, Pro Trader pods. Probably once a week, maybe once every other week. And if you cast this on me, I'm in trouble. Right. I like the idea because you're of... getting a, you, you're getting five, six, seven, eight value creatures that are very, very good to have in your back pocket. You're getting an eternal witness, a timeless witness. You're getting uh, a Shieldred. You're getting a Gingitaxius, the new one. You're getting uh, a Cavern Harpy, or you're getting a Baleful Strix. Like you're getting a bunch of shit that's going to be handy as the game progresses. And you've de- you've declined my opportunity to make use of them, which counts. I like the idea that somebody's spending six mana on a sorcery just to exile your yard and then they don't cast anything because if it dies, it would go back to your yard. So that would be fun. This is a an interesting take on mass reanimation. You know, we've got Rise of the Dark Realms for seven black black. So for three more mana, you just dump everything into play. But this one, you get to choose the rate at which you want to replay all of these. And giving yourself more choices is a good thing. Um... I did want to bring up specifically... I'm sorry, was there something else you wanted to say about Shadows? Nope, go ahead. All right. Um, Boromir, the Warden of the Tower, is one of the humans that I think might have an effect on modern. Big... Okay. Uh, Because two and a... Certainly good in EDH. I was going to say it's also really good in in Commander, but there's a lot of things that this, like, messes with. So, is 3-3 Vigilance for two and a a white. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell. So you got a lot of things where you're replaying, you get to recast, you uh, your creativity deck can't <clears throat> creativity into Torrential Gear Hulk and then replay Magma Opus. You get the Gear Hulk, but you don't get the Opus. And then he has Sacrifice Him, creatures you control gain indestructible in the end of turn, the ring tempts you. So it's really good against two different things that players have to put up with if you're playing a humans deck. And I just really approve of cards that are uh, really powerful against two niche strategies that you can just toss in on a reasonable power creature. It looks like a staple to me in the same way that that, uh, the black orc looks like a staple because there's so many... They've made a bunch of commanders like Joda where such and such happens, you get to look at a bunch of cards in your deck and then cast something for free or cascade or whatever, and it shuts all that shit down. They can't force a negation. They can't force a will. They can't cast any of the free white, red, black spells, deflecting SWAT, deadly Rollick, any of that. Um, they, they can't cast anything, any cascade. They can't cast any triggered casting of spells. This uh, does shut down. It, I believe it shuts down Sauron Storm too, right? No, it doesn't stop copies. Yeah, you have to exile something and then cast the copy for free. 
That, yeah, that it would counter the work. first one, but you'd st- but you'd still get the copy. Okay. But yeah, this is this this is a very good stacks piece for commander because you can pair this with Draneth Magistrate, with Esper Sentinel, with a whole bunch of other white cards that mess with people and keep them from doing what they want to do. In a, in a deck like Thalion, the Gitrog monster, you're going to slide this in there to just create extra problems for your opponent. That's already a ridiculous card by itself where all your non-basic lands come into play tapped, all your creatures are coming into play tapped. They play Thalia, Heretic, Athar. They've got backup on that. The Boromir can give, give them all indestructible, so it's really hard to clear those effects and get back in the game. Very popular rare that's probably brickable. Probably. Did you notice that we got one saga today in all the cards that were spoiled? Yeah, and it was a super funny one that doesn't doesn't look like a spec, but is hilarious. It, it's got six chapters. <laughs> yeah, it's long list of the ents for one green. Six chapters. They're all the same chapter. Note a creature type that hasn't been noted for long list of the ents. Whenever you cast your next creature spell of that type this turn, that creature enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it. The only commander I can think of that is an auto-include for that card is the one from AFR that cares about all of your creatures being a different type. Oh yeah, that uh, the the Volo, the Guide to Monsters or something like that? That That's the one. Volo says... Volo Guide to Monsters says... You copy says, it whenever, if it doesn't share a type with something else in play. Yeah, basically you get two of any creature you cast that isn't the same type as any other creature you have. So this would be like, you cast a creature... A 5-5 five, five with some ability. You get two 5-5s five, with an ability, and they both come in with an additional plus one, plus one counter on them, and it only costs you one green. So it's an auto-include in Volo, but there's only been 7,000 decks built for Volo. He's the 63rd most, most built commander, so like a mid-tier commander. Long list of the ants is cute, but it's also only an uncommon. Yeah, it's not going to be anything amazing. They did show us a couple other things that, that jumped out at me. Gandalf White Rider is the rare Gandalf. Three and a white for a 3-3 Vigilance Avatar Wizard. Whenever you cast a spell, creatures you control get plus one plus zero until end of turn. Scry one. That's a kind of a jet mirror kind of effect. I wouldn't underestimate that. You could cast two or three things in a turn and your creatures are all plus three plus zero and you've scryed three times. Yeah, don't don't sleep on anything that stacks up on itself this way. And when and Gandalf's hard to kill. You got to exile it because otherwise it goes into the library fifth from the top. <laughs> he takes so long to come back from fighting the Balrog is the problem. Yeah, it takes uh, a whole movie and a half. Yeah, there's also Galadriel, Gift Giver, three double green for a four four elf noble. When it enters the battlefield or attacks. Put a plus one plus choose one. You can put a plus one plus one counter on another target creature, create a food token, create a treasure token. So again, slides right into the Frodo and Sam deck, because that's all the shit they want to be doing. And Frodo Determined Hero is one and a white for a two-two. This is the rare Frodo. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, you may attach target equipment you control with mana value two or three. Very specifically puts uh Bilbo's ring on Frodo. Oh, I was thinking it was it was costed that way so it couldn't put on the hammer. That's very relevant and modern, yes. <laughs> as long as it's your turn, prevent all damage that would be dealt to Frodo. So, honestly, the Salmon Frodo deck kind of builds itself and looks super fun. It really does. We're, we're going to see a whole lot of that and a, a lot of things go on. Do you build the Salmon Frodo deck or do you build the uh, Bilbo deck and put Salmon Frodo in there? 
Uh, I'm putting, I think I'm doing it as Sam and Frodo, but Bilbo and Bilbo's in there. Okay. I would probably build the Bilbo deck. I think I'm probably going to build at least three new decks here. Saruman, Sauron, the Abzan, everything deck that just looks like they threw 25 cards at us that all work together. Like even just Samwise Ganji, the other Samwise is a two, two halfling peasant for two. Whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, create a food token, sacrifice three foods, return target, historic card from your graveyard to your hand. I'm telling you, when this deck gets to the mid game, the synergy level is going to be completely off the chains with these stupid foods. <laughs> yes, everything food, food will be food. New food again. has been, food has been the worst token, and they are very specifically looking to turn the corner on that for this particular build. What's what's the one that you sack three foods and you bring it back? Uh, the troll king of some kind. Yeah, yeah feasting troll king is probably going to see some action here. Yeah, that seems likely. It did already because it was a modern deck for a while. That's true. There is a there is a food deck that runs around. There was an Asmo deck that that was using Troll King for a while. Asmo decks have struggled to find their place. They also showed us Hugh the Entwood, three double red. Sacrifice any number of lands. Reveal the top X cards of your library where X is the number of lands you sacked. Choose any number of artifact and or land cards revealed this way. Put all non-land cards chosen this way onto the battlefield. Then put all land cards chosen this way onto the battlefield tapped. Then put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. This works really well in a deck that is extremely heavy on artifacts. So let's see. You uh, sacrifice lands and you reveal X where X is the number of lands. So you're only going to be able to put artifacts or lands into play. So all the artifacts, all non-lands chosen this way onto the back. Why do they say artifact, non-land instead of artifact? I don't understand. Call artifact cards chosen this way onto the battlefield. So boom, you sacrifice a bunch of things. And as long as your big artifacts are in those top X cards, it doesn't matter what their casting cost is. Just slap them into play. Okay, I dig it. You know what card? You know what cards that works nicely with is the ones from Brothers War that have a lower cost, so that you can prototype them if right. you have to cast them straight. But if you get the full value version of them off Hugh the Entwood, then you're in better position. Um, I can't think of a commander in the top twenty that gives a shit about this card um, because you want to cast this mid to late game. You're gonna go, on average go down some land, so you're basically sacking five lands probably you're going to get back one to three lands and then you're going to put into play two to three hopefully heavy hitters yeah this seems like it goes really well in a a heavy duty ramp deck but you it would hurt to like sacrifice seven or eight lands and end up you know at three or four lands that's yeah it's it's i think it would have been better if it had instead of revealing x where x is the lands it was just a solid Reveal six, reveal eight, reveal ten, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Because then, like last night, I cast Vorinclex twice in Maldratha, where you look at the top ten and get to put two creatures into play. And I whiffed on the first one, and on the second one, I only hit one creature, which is (laughs) unusual in that deck for sure. But when you're only looking at, say, three, four, or five, you could easily miss unless your deck has a smart way of including a bunch of heavy hitters that doesn't overburden your hand with heavy casting costs you can't do anything about. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a kind of a specialist card that's going to be niche in, you know, it doesn't look like a true staple to me. It looks like a card that will appear every once in a while in a game you're playing where it'll be very cleverly used. It has high combo potential if you can pull all the things 
around it. But I'd be more interested in this effect on a commander than I am on a single singular sorcery, since it's hard to build the whole rest of the deck to accommodate this card. Yeah, this is a, a tricky and terrible card to use. Are you about to talk about the Ents? Yeah, yeah, this is a totally different story. Yeah. This is completely different. Six double green spell can't be countered. Very important in Commander because this kind of this kind of thing tends to get countered. <laughs> Draw cards equal to the greatest toughness among creatures you control. Then put any number of creature cards from your hand onto the battlefield. Oh boy, baby, that's like probably blue green X that you're in if you're doing this because you're gonna want to have. Gingitaxius and other things that fill your hand, give you benefits to having your hand filled, etc. This is, you know, a game ending type card. It's it gonna really is. It can't just fit in any old deck, but in big beefy green decks with a plan of action, this is gonna do exactly what you'd expect it to do. I think I'm gonna try this in the Ur Dragon. I'm not sure it'll stay there. Because I I don't think I have I have a couple of eight mana dragons, but uh, this it's is... going to be pretty cute there. You're going to like draw five, draw draw something like four or five cards, and then just bleh onto the field. <laughs> just, yeah, and everyone... and if and if one of if one of them is Miriam, doesn't the rest of it get even worse? Yes, because it's uh, yeah. anything that sees other dragons come into play. So if Scourge of Valkus is one of them, if Lathless the Dragon Queen is one of them, it just it's just going to be really powerful, and I have no strong objection to this. You know, it's just, as always, you got to figure out what to cut to play a ridiculous card like this. But this is exactly what Commander players want to do. We want that feel, that first line of text, this spell can't be countered. You have this beautiful turn you're building up in your head, and then some dipstick is sitting over there with a disdainful stroke, and they're just like, I'm going to counter it, and they're like, let me kill you first. So this is going to be a... This is my pick for one of the cards that I didn't think would be that expensive, but oh my god, every commander player keeps every copy, so not a lot goes into circulation. Anything else they showed us here that we hadn't already seen? Uh, there was some specific ones that are like, you know, the Fires of Mount Doom, Rising of the Day. There's a lot of really neat cards, but I think we've hit most of the the mo the the important ones, the ones that are most likely to be uh wrecking things fires amount doom looks pretty solid like two in a red you do two damage to target creature if it had equipment on it that's destroyed incidentally uh two in a red exile the top card of your library repeatable effect so you're getting extra cards they're not super cheap uh you can do you have to play them that turn yes. yeah most of the red effects lately have given you to the end of your next turn which is much stronger uh, so same turn is less good unless you're in green red X where you're ramping pretty fast. But every time you play a card that way, you deal two to each player. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Good. I think I put this in Gearson because it doesn't do exactly one to anybody. But the but I have a lot of situations where Gearson's been killed enough times that I can't easily bring him back. But I still have my doublers or triplers on the table, like a City on Fire is in play. Mm. And then the cards I'm casting are going to be six damage to each player or four damage to each player. That's pretty good. I mean, City on Fire plus anything, you've, you've got my attention and I'm a, a big, big fan. Uh, also worth keeping your eye on Call of the Ring, right? Because I think the the tempt Ring Temptation theme, specifically in the Sam and Frodo list, 
is makes this an auto include at the beginning of your upkeep the ring tempts you which is what you want to happen repeatedly whenever you choose a creature as your ring bearer you may pay two life if you do draw a card the salmon frodo build is going to draw cards very easily it has three or four mainline methods by which that's going to take place and they're also going to run the white and black card draw spells like esper sentinel like uh smuggler stash like uh protection racket etc so they, they're gonna draw tons of cards they showed us fanghorn tree shepherd 410 tree folk you control have vigilance whenever one or more tree folk you control attack add twice that much green you don't lose unspent green mana as steps and phases end that's cute but i suspect it's like a doran it like gives breathes new life into doran more than it makes fanghorn get built yeah, I don't think there's gonna be a lot of Fanghorn play. It's a four ten. Like you don't wanna you wanna have Doran to get all the tree folk goodness so that you can slam down this ten ten and help you do cool things. It's gonna go into existing decks. I don't think it's gonna be a deck on its own. I agree with you completely. Alright, so the last big thing here is there are box toppers with not just CBs, there are box toppers with draft set and CBs. Uh and I think if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the box toppers are foil and then non-foil and halo foil box toppers are also in the cbs all right let's see there are 30 box toppers uh they are going to be found in each set draft and collector booster display you'll get traditional foil in those so you get the single card packs like we've had before these are being referred to as the realms and relics cards so you'll get foils in the single packs that come in set draft and collector booster boxes then in collector boosters you're going to have a slot for non-foils and surge foils if that makes sense (laughs) yep 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 so standouts cavern of souls we've only gotten half the list so far but yes cavern of souls is getting double tapped from last summer as paths of the dead that had only gotten down to 55 or something. I think it was like 55 or something that like that. That sounds right. Cavern, yeah, 56. Um, so this should suppress it further because it hasn't had any chance to rebrand, but it never got all that cheap to begin with. Yeah, it's never really been cheap. They also showed us uh, a reprint of Yavimaya Cradle of Growth, which is two years out from an MH2 printing, but has never had a chance to accelerate because they printed, they never reprinted MH2 CBs as far as I know. But they definitely have kept it in print for much longer than the average set for regular booster boxes. And that has kept most of the rares suppressed at a level that they've kind of steady at a level they've been at for ages. And for instance, things like Misty Rainforest are down a few bucks from last year, which is the first time we have ever seen that happen with enemy fetches. Enemy fetches were super reliable as recently as like M17 came out. Yeah. Uh, Modern Masters 2017, and they rebounded in six months because the print run of that was limited to its release period, and they started to drain out of the market six months later. MH2 was full of so many popular cards that Wizards was able to keep it in print for way, way longer. They've probably made, I think it's probably accurate to say they made more money on Modern Horizons 2 than any other set ever. And as a result, anything that's catching a reprint here is going to be held down for a good long while would be my guess unless it has some massive turn to the left where in modern all of a sudden you need four copies so you have my cradle growth good looking art 
various versions of these cards are, these are probably going to be the preferred versions. Uh, for instance, the Ozolith is done as Argonath, Pillars of the Kings. Hardened Scales was at about 20, uh, sorry, um, due to Hardened Scales being resurgent in modern, the Ozolith was at about 26 bucks. So it needed the reprint as a rare. Cloudstone Curio has only ever been printed as the Masterpiece Invention, which is currently $195, and the original Ravnica printing, which got up to 50 And we were talking about Aragorn wanting to bounce things. Clouds- I was about to say this exact same thing, yeah. Yeah, this is an auto-lock to be included in every Aragorn deck because him bouncing and recasting creatures is where it's at. Rings of Bright Hearth was in Commander Legends two and a half years ago, but never really got a chance to recover either, and it's going to get crushed here. Should be relatively cheap to get a really sexy looking version. Shadow Spear, like the Ozolith, was at about 20 bucks and needed the reprint, but it's going to be suppressed for a while here since you almost never run more than one Shadow Spear in Modern. Also, this is by far the coolest looking version, too. Yeah, like, it's the Morgul, the Morgul knife that stabs Frodo on Weathertop at the, at the start of the first movie, so... I think that's the best Shadow Spear now. Likewise, Minimo School at Water's Edge. I saw some people talking about how they didn't want to play Blocks Hoppers that had Lord of the Rings specific art, but a lot of these are generic enough that I think they just fit into the Magic universe pretty straightforwardly, uh, given that Magic is in large part derived derived from the concepts of Lord of the Rings down through a few generations of of regurgitation. So Dal Amroth as a stand-in for Minimo, I mean, it just looks like Magic art. And yeah. is the first time we've ever had a fancy version. It untaps target legendary permanent. I should have already had it in my St. Traff deck because I need to tap and untap that commander repeatedly. So I don't know why I didn't have a copy. So I'll be looking for a Dal Amroth to fill that slot. Ancient Tomb is one of the bigger print reprints here alongside Cavern of Souls. It was at, has had multiple reprints in the last 10 years, but was still sitting at $73 for the latest uh, versions. I think it's the UMA copies. And this is a nice premium version as Balan's Tomb. So I would expect, you know, this is probably going to get pushed down into the maybe sub $50 range would be my guess. There's also... Oh, yeah, definitely. There's also reprints of Buseju who shelters all. Uh, You know, that's going to get crushed. Deserted Temple, crushed. The Bridge of Kaza Doom was announced earlier as in Staring Bridge. Valley of Gorgogoroth is Wasteland. Party tree as the Great Henge. I just sold a Great Henge foil extender Japanese for 150 the other day. I was so pleased to be exiting at exactly the right moment. I didn't realize Wasteland was still a $22 card. This should uh, drive it into the ground quite nicely. Yeah, I mean, the the box toppers, they're going to make a lot of this set, and the box toppers are not limited to the collector boosters, so there should be plenty of them around. All the cards affected should therefore be impacted. That said, there's also going to be a lot of demand for these versions because in a lot of cases, this is now the best version. Like the Bridge of Khazad Doom as the ensnaring bridge. I mean, yeah, you're going to use that version. (laughs) In terms of the Great Henge, I think the original art is actually stronger than the Party Tree art. So I I prefer, like I have a, a Japanese foil myself in one of my decks and I think I prefer that. But in a lot of these other cases, these are best versions ever printed. So we still got some more of those to be revealed. Overall, very happy with the set. I mean, because they're including stuff like Cavern and Ancient Tomb and so forth, the set has a nice value anchor. And so far, I see really good cards at Uncommon, Rare, and Mythic. A bunch of good commanders to build. Some very strong themes that are 
intelligent expressions of the IP. One of the problems I've had with some of the secret layers, you know, like uh, Warhammer and so forth, is that sometimes they really hit the mark nicely, and sometimes, you know, in the case of, for instance, Stranger Things, it feels like they are forcing those characters into magic cards, and it's not a great fit. But here, all of this just chef's kiss. They, they have really nailed it with this set from what I've seen so far. As we said earlier, not a super strong looking modern set so far, but it is a very, very good set. Uh, I just want to flag this one card that jumped out at me as being funny. Here's a card that is might be an anti-spec. The Balrog, Flame of Undune. I saw that. It's so bad. Three black red for a 7-7 seven, seven trample. Whenever a legendary creature an opponent controls dies, put the Balrog on the bottom of its owner's library. Utterly unplayable in EDH. Flavor, win though. Legendary thing gets rid of it, you know. Cool, whatever. but you can't, like this needed bigger stats. Like it should have been a 10-10 for five or something if you want to see get, see the see any play at all. In, and in draft, it's not even good because there's so many legends. There's in this so set. many legends, yeah. So no, that's, that's not going to. They're, they're going to have no problem trading one of their creatures for this. In draft, of course, the trample being a seven-seven. If you block with a two-two, you're still taking five and then losing that creature, and they get the Balrog on the bottom. Eh, they they could have done more with the Balrog. I expected more. It's it's such an important card. I would like to see like a, a paired set of cards, a version of Gandalf and the Balrog two-card piece of art that's pictured uh, their battle on the bridge and where their abilities interact in some way. Yeah, that would be neat. Uh, that would be much, much neater. All right. All right. They've, sh- they've shown us a big chunk of the set. We haven't seen all of it yet, but it looks good. Any final thoughts? Just that the we, we get this now, and in the holidays, we get a whole other round of it. We get oh, to yes. revisit this. So uh, they did tell us in one of the articles that uh, they're going to get more coming out on November 3rd with scene boxes that have even more of these wide displays, and it comes with a way to display it, which is super neat. And then a special edition of collector boosters with a new type of foil treatment. You'll just have to wait and see. But uh, most importantly, the special edition boosters will not have the serialized rings. They, They told us that outright. But there's going to be special edition collector boosters so that in a couple of years we can get a VIP special edition collector booster of some other set. We can just keep adding adjectives to this. So there's going to be more coming. Yeah, there's more product towards the end of the year. Now, the question here that needs that I don't have full clarity on based on the article on the special edition collector boosters. It's not clear to me whether this is the same cards they've already given us in the set with updated art, like more alternate art, and as you said, a new treatment that we haven't seen. The boosters in those collect boosters are five rares and or mythic rares, five uncommons, four commons, and one land. You have no chance it's serialized in those, and they come out near Christmas, as you said. So if it's the same cards from the main set, then there's an opportunity with Lord of the Rings to have specs on early cards that are undervalued, you know, you might get a brick of the bats at 25 cents and be able to buy listed a couple months later for a dollar or something. You might have an underrated mythic for modern that takes off as a four of and top eight's a challenge and all of a sudden it spikes from 10 to $20. So far, I haven't seen anything that looks like a good candidate for that. And if you look at most of these, therefore, from an EDH only perspective, if we're getting the same cards reprinted six months later, it's kind of like 
they have to be shielded level to hold a high price point. Like shielded getting reprinted from DMU to uh, the reprint in Phyrexia all will be one. Otherwise, there's just so like they're gonna be mel- as it is. Even if they had not told us about the, the holiday releases, I would have expected them to keep this set in print for almost as long as MH2 because of the popularity of the IP. So if you're telling me for sure there's a reprint coming on Collector Boosters, which is something we have not seen to date. As far as we know, Collector Boosters have never gone back to the presses. So for them to say that we're going to put out some Collector Boosters, then give you the same ones, different art, six months later, different treatment, that means that you're, most of the things that will look like interesting specs, we're going to have to wait a good long time before we can confidently include them in a Cards to Watch segment especially since the scene boxes look like they might be more of the same like it looks like they are six reprints new art plus art cards that represent the alternate art and it looks like they probably feature all the main characters so like gandalf the white looks like he gets another reprint in gandalf in the pelinor fields these scene boxes have how many set boosters three Three. so it's just three set boosters and then the display with the art cards bet you they're going to ask 40 bucks on those us that seems like a good... I was thinking 30, but 40 is probably in the range too because it comes with the easel and you get the the actual card and then you get the art card. Be- that you can put the art together to make the panorama. It basically, it, if these scene sets are widely distributed in big box stores and they include all the main characters, it's going to be hard to go in on Gandalf or whatever. Because Yeah, that seems likely. Yeah. So I, I can't imagine they would hold... They've got four different versions. You're not going to hold these only to local game stores. Feels like it's going to be a very popular set that it's going to sell very well, which means the box prices will hold up relative to their margin, but probably you're going to have to hold your breath on specking on a lot of this unless you spot something that nobody else does and you get in real early. I, well, I was going to say just about the time I'd start thinking about specs would be about six months later, and that's when this reprint will land. So uh, that's... The one thing I will say is that the rarest of the spec of the ancillary products that have alternate art versions that form the tableau, the combined images, those are likely to be very popular in the long term. I could see most of the the good ones of those products being hard to find in five years and being double or triple ups. I would also think about something like the Frodo and Sam commander deck could very easily be a double up in two years. Just based on character popularity? Yeah. And and because I think this, the theme, and I think the, that deck is going to play really well. That's also very true. It's, it looks like an extremely synergistic deck. Very. Uh, especially depending on what reprints are in there. Yeah. So I think, like, we're going to be, you're going to be running in an article on Lord of the Rings math shortly. And, you know, we'll have more to discuss down the road here. Uh, I've heard a lot of people make the comment that nobody's going to open this product once the One Ring is found. I think that's just wrong. There's yeah, that's super wrong. It will it will reduce the frenzy for sure. And I think the more accurate point to make is it's not about the fall off the cliff when it's found, so much as it is the friends the increasing level of frenzy until it's found. If I'm Wizards, I am not handing that one off to a prominent retailer on week one. The story is way better if it takes forever to find it. So even though it's not available in the stuff released at Christmas, there will be boxes sitting around. And if they did it honestly, like if they just put it in a box and sent it out somewhere in the US, and it could be in any box, and they didn't specifically put it somewhere, then 
the odds are decent that it's just going to sit on someone's shelf, that it's going to be an inventory somewhere in a warehouse somewhere, that it's going to be some kid could open it in their bedroom and throw it out. Anything could happen. Now, it could also just be opened at a draft on opening weekend. But that story is so much worse than Magic players hunting for it for 6 to 12 months. Right. So if it's me and I'm them, I'm sandbagging it for a few months. Do you think they're going to do it honestly? No. (laughs) Not not knowing Hasbro. I just don't know which version of dishonest. It's dishonest to sandbag it, but they could do that. It's dishonest to put it somewhere specific, but they could do that. Because the thing is, they don't want it to never be found. They, They would like it to be found. And it's only yeah, they want. And since it's not in the Christmas release CBs, they are signaling that you're supposed to buy the early CBs. Yeah, well, I think they really want it to be found at some point when, you know, when when would the 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 caught so like when it's found is going to be determining if it's found early on in the Lord of the Rings season, like before Commander Masters and everything comes out, would the price paid for it be higher? early on when we're still in this IP frenzy? Or do you think it doesn't matter when we find it, the price is always going to be ridiculous? Because I think Wizards really wants the fir- the whole, like, this card just got opened and it's a million dollars. Yeah, they, they definitely want that headline to run for free. So they probably want it found within a month or two of release from that perspective. Yeah, But I'm not convinced that that helps them in terms of getting free PR, but doesn't necessarily sell more product. I think they they have an easier time selling this set in September if it still hasn't been found. So I think in terms of financial benefit, I think the argument can be made that sandbagging it is a solid choice. Are you going to go for a serialized ring for any of your decks? Mm, I am going to play serialized rings probably the same way I did with Mom serialized, where I'm going to try to snipe some early ones that are underpriced versus what I think they are actually worth in the market. We'll get into what those predicted values are a little later, I think. Yeah, that's a a good conversation for a future thing. Where can people find you online, my friend? You can find me online at Twitter at Word of Commander or on my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcrinic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service. You can get the basic version for $7.99 a month or our ProTrader Premium with access to group buys for $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE with the number 5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Whew, it's a lot to go over, James. Big week for Lord of the Rings. Can't wait to crack some. Pre-release is in two weeks, my friend. That's crazy. Thank you, Cliff, and we'll see all all of you next week for some more Lord of the Rings discussion on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.